Good afternoon. It is truly a blessing to be here. It is uh, such a joy to be able to see more people back with us today and, and still to be able to have others um, who are able to join with us online. Uh, it's a great blessing to be part of the family of God. Um, and God's design for his people to be able to encourage and build up one another in ways such as this. Um, uh, it, it should go without saying he knew what he was doing <laughs> when, when he set it up that way for us. Um, last month, we spent two weeks talking about biblical principles of communication. We looked at a lot of principles from the book of Proverbs. And at the time, I, I preached those sermons because I thought it would especially be helpful to us dealing with uh, uh, coronavirus shutdown and, you know, being kind of more separated from one another. There's a lot of difficulties of communication that go into that. But I'll tell you, I, I think in our society, in our country right now, we, we need those principles of communication more than ever. Uh, because there's a lot going on uh, in, in the nation around us, a lot of very serious and, and heavy topics that God's people need not to be silent on, that, that we need to be thinking about, and we need to be talking about in a way that, that brings glory to God. I want to talk today about racism in God's eyes. This is something that, that has been on my mind and in my heart for, for quite a while. Um, in fact, long before any of the current situation with, with the death of George Floyd came out, uh, I think it was near the beginning of the year, I, I was uh, eating supper and talking to Dave and Jason and asked them if they had uh, ever, ever heard a lesson uh, addressing racism. And it, it surprised me that I can't rele- recollect a time that I, I heard a lesson that directly addressed this issue. Um, certainly it came up at times here and at times there, but I think it's something that is very much a biblical issue uh, and something that we need to be talking about. And, and the reason that I, I haven't preached this lesson until now uh, is because I, I feel a little bit like a single man preaching about marriage <laughs> or, or a childless man preaching about parenthood, uh, a white man preaching about Racism, And it's not that, that racism or prejudice is a one-way street, but historically in our nation, those who have been the aggressors and oppressors of racism are those that look like me. And so I don't know what it's like to experience the weight uh, of racism on a daily basis. I, I don't know what it's like to feel judged or, or excluded or threatened because of the color of my skin. And so I, I can't speak from experience. Not, not that I ever intend to really speak from experience when I get up here. Though. Um, but I can't identify for you how deep or how wide or how far reaching the problem is in our nation. Um, I hear the news stories just like you do. I see the statistics, and I can read those just like you do. Uh, and I hear what media anchors and politicians are saying, each giving their spin of what the true issue and the true problem is. Uh, but, but all of that is kind of, whether I like it or not, filtered through Grady Huggins' own personal experiences and perceptions of the situation. And so I'm not going to try to attempt to give my commentary on current events today. Uh, 
I'm not going to tell you what, what I think is the core systemic issue or, or the political solution or the exact course of events that happened in any one of these horrific and tragic killings of unarmed black and men and women in our nation over the past couple of years, because the Bible doesn't give us those answers. Uh, and while it's good for us to try to be informed, and I would encourage you to expose yourself, maybe even to information that, that would challenge your own biases, I would encourage you more than anything to talk to your brothers and sisters of different races about their experiences and try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. While it's good to be informed of those things, I think when my convictions and beliefs about something are based on what I've heard in the media and what I saw on my Facebook feed, I need to tread very lightly because that is not firm ground to stand on. And that is never ground that I want to stand on when I'm standing up here. So we're not going to talk about it in that way. There, there needs to be a world of difference in the type of trust that I put in what Fox News or CNN or MSNBC is telling me and, and the type of trust that I put in the pages of God's Word. So I want that to be our focus because I can't speak from experience and I won't speak from what the news media is telling us on one side or on the other. But I can speak about what God's word has to say about racism. And brethren, I hope I, I can get a hearty amen. That is what we need more than anything else. Amen. Because, thank you, Jason. <laughs> because racism at its core is a sin issue. It is not at its core a political or systemic or sociological issue. At its core, it is a spiritual issue. It is a heart issue. And in that way, it needs to be addressed by God's people. And Donald Trump can't give you the answer to that. And Joe Biden can't give you the answer to that. And Grady Huggins can't give you the answer to that. Jesus Christ is the only one that can give us the answer to that. And if we don't start there in our view of some of these issues then when the storms come and, and the rains and the winds, then our house is going to fall flat. We need to make sure that more than anything else, we are grounding our convictions, our beliefs, even about current situations, on the word of God. That that is where we take our stand above all else. And so I invite you today to focus on the scriptures with me. Because racism is not a new problem. And it's not even just a, an American problem. It's not just a black and white problem. It is a problem that has been seen in the history of the world th throughout time. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the church, you know what one of the first problems that the church dealt with was? In Acts chapter 6, the Grecian widows were being neglected in the daily serving. Well, why was that? Well, they're, they're not quite like the rest of us. Well, God addressed that issue. God's people addressed that issue then. And brethren, God's people need to be addressing this issue now. We, above all else, need to be a pattern of what God's intent for unity among all of his children should be. And so we're not the only ones to ever deal with this problem, but God has the answer uh, now as he did then. So I want to start in the very beginning in talking about this. 
First of all, racism devalues God's creation. Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Brethren, all of humanity is created in the image of God. Of God, And before we can learn to properly love and respect our fellow man, we, we need to see that in one another. We need to see that we're all stamped with the image of God. Every human being, black, white, brown, or otherwise, is intended to be a self-portrait of our creator. Invested with a portion of his spirit to have the capacity to reflect his character within their lives. And when we think about Adam and Eve, you know, I, I think many times we, we picture them looking like us. Well, we don't know what they look like, right? Uh, out of them, God brings all races. Uh, and so we not, ought, ought not to think that, that God's image is only reflected in, in one type of, of, of skin color or one set of physical characteristics. Because we're all created in the image of God, all life carries with it an implicit value and, and duty of respect. I want you to notice a little bit later in Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 and in verse 6. Here after the flood, God sets up some laws of justice. And he says here in Genesis 9 and verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Why is it that all life has value and is deserving of, of justice? Because God made us in his image, every single one of us in his image. God made George Floyd in his image. God made Ahmaud Arbery and Antoine Rose and Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin in his image. And regardless of their character, maybe their, their criminal past or the circumstances of their death, their life has the same value as yours and as mine because they were imprinted with the image of God just like you and I. What so often allows us to treat someone in a hateful or merciless way or to turn a blind eye to somebody being treated in that way is that we distance that person in our minds from ourselves. We might think, well, well they're not like me. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. Uh, they, they don't think like me. Their, their life is, is not like mine, thus it's not as valuable as mine. Well, God thought they were valuable. God thought they were valuable when he stamped his image upon their soul. God thought they were valuable when, when he breathed life into their lungs. And so we need to see the value in every human being. 
And this doesn't just apply in our actions towards other people. This applies in our words uh, and our thoughts as well. In James chapter 3, James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, in verse 8, it talks about how the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And it says there in verse 9, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Here he tells us we need to give thought to our words and what we're saying to other people because these are people made in the likeness of God. And we can't, you know, say good words as we're talking to God and then go along and, and say things that, that do damage to our brother uh, and think that that's okay. No, they are created in God's likeness. We might say, well, I would never support any act of violence against somebody else just because they're different than me. Okay. Well, do my words do violence? Do my words uh, marginalize the pain and trauma of others? Do, do they show a lack of care and compassion or love for the pain of others that are made in God's image? Uh, just because they don't look like me. Whether or not somebody else looks like me, we need to realize they look like God. They have God's image in them. Uh, is God a white man? Is he a black man? Is he Hispanic or Asian or Indian or Middle Eastern? Brethren, the answer is none of the above, or, or perhaps we could say all of the above, but certainly not just one of the above. We have a tendency to make God in our own image, to think of him as being like us. During the Holy Roman Empire, depictions of Jesus began to come out as a pale white man. And that's not because historical evidence would point us towards that picture. It's because the people who were doing that were, were trying to depict Jesus in a way that seemed, uh, you know, desirable and beautiful to them. And so they made him look like, like themselves, Right? But brethren, we, we need not to think of God in that way. In fact, Jesus probably looked more like someone that might get stopped at the airport for being a suspected terrorist than he looked like me. He was, after all, Middle Eastern, was he not? But brethren, we need to learn to see the mosaic of humanity as a reflection of the infinite and all-encompassing God that we serve. Rather than creating God in our own image, we need to see the beauty of God in all of his creation. Because Christianity, brethren, is not a white man's religion. Christianity is not an American religion. Christianity, the kingdom of Christ, encompasses every nation of the world, every language that is spoken, every skin tone, every ethnicity. And really, us here in America, we're, we're just as much a missionary field as anybody else. We, we don't have, you know, the, the gospel in our possession. Granted, God has blessed us with many resources. We should be using that to reach out to other nations. But, you know, maybe some other nations need to send some missionaries here. Because <laughs> we need it just as much as anybody. Uh, we ought not to think that, that somehow the gospel is just in our possession. 
We need to learn to see the way that God sees. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, you may remember as Samuel is going to anoint David as the next king. Uh, and he goes and he sees some of David's brothers. And he thinks, oh, surely the Lord's anointed is in front of me. Well, it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Brother, it's so easy for us to make judgments about other people based on what man sees, based on what we see on the surface. The color of somebody's skin, their height and weight, their, their body shape, their hair, their clothing. And, and while we should see the beauty of God's creation and, and all of that, we need to learn to see deeper. Because what is most valuable lies underneath the surface. What's most valuable is the soul, the image of God imprinted upon it. And you might say, well, but, but Grady, but we can't see the way that God sees. I can't see somebody's heart. I know. That's the point. That, that we need to take the time to get to know somebody before we make judgments about them. We need to assume the best about them and take the time to develop a relationship with them. The, the entire idea of prejudice is the idea of pre-judging, right? And so we see somebody, we see something about them, and we think we know what kind of person that is. Well, he, he's an older white man from the South, so he must think this way. Or he's a young black man wearing a hoodie, he must have this type of character. Or, you know, he, he's an officer wearing, wearing a badge, and so he must have this kind of prejudice. Rather than all of that, in one way or another, is making a judgment based on outward appearance. We need to learn to see as God sees. Certainly see the beauty and the diversity in his creation. But we, we need to see, ultimately, the value of the soul. I want to go ahead and move into our, our second point here. Racism divides God's people. Look, look back with me in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 20. We're told the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, if, if we all have the same mother, what does that make us? Brothers and sisters, right. And, and so much more in the body of Christ, but even just in humanity in general, we all share, yes, even the same physical Ancestry. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, um, Paul says that God made from one man, or some versions say one blood, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. All nations, all ethnicities, all skin colors ultimately come from one man, from one blood race, brethren, the dividing of people based on physical characteristics, especially skin color, is a social construct. It's something that, that we have ultimately created. 
you know, what, what if we divided people based on, on foot size? Or we decided that we were going to start d dividing people based on, you know, how hairy or smooth skin they were. C can you imagine some father telling their, their daughter, well, you better not bring home that smooth skin boy, you know? And, and yet we, we've picked certain characteristics and decided, well, that that makes you different. It, it, well, no, ultimately, even on just a humanity level, we're all part of the, the same family. That's how I need to see all of humanity. I have a shared ancestry. We share, the, the, in a sense, the same mother and the same father, even more, the same creator. But how much more should that be the case in the body of Christ? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look in verse 27 through 29. Starting in verse 27, we read, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to the promise. Brethren, so much more important than a shared physical heritage is a shared spiritual heritage. He tells we're, we're all part of Abraham's seed. We share the same spiritual ancestry. And while the gospel doesn't erase our ethnicity or our cultural background any more than it erases our, our gender uh, or erases our, our status in, in society, it should eclipse it. It should overshadow it. The, the primary thing about us needs to be our identity in Christ. There, there's nothing inherently wrong with appreciating and valuing our cultural heritage, right? You, you can be a, a proud Italian. You can be a proud black man. You can be a proud Irish man. Uh, you can be a proud American, there's nothing wrong with appreciating and valuing a personal cultural heritage, but the minute that that starts drawing a dividing line between me and somebody else in the body of Christ, then it needs to be torn down. Our primary identity, our primary heritage, our primary family is the spiritual heritage that we have in Christ. Do you think maybe in the first century that there might have been a few proud Jewish men in the church? Or maybe a few proud Greek men in the church? You know, largely the Jews looked down upon the Greeks. You know, we were the people of God, right? And the Greeks looked down upon everybody else. Well, everybody else is barbarians. They're not as cultured and as... Uh, you know, educated and enlightened as Greek culture is, right? How, how did the early church work through that? They found their primary identity in Christ. They were all Abraham's seed according to the promise. And so when we enter into Christ, everything else about us becomes secondary. My primary identity is not being an American. My primary identity is not being a, a Caucasian or a Republican or Democrat. 
My primary identity is being a Christian, and that needs to be the culture that I value more than anything else. That needs to be the ancestry that that I uh, claim. And so, brethren, I think we need to be very careful about dividing ourselves over cultural lines and saying, "Well, well, my people and your people, wait, 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 my people are the people of God. That's where my primary citizenship is. That's where my primary ancestry is found. And so, as we said before, it's not that we, we ignore these other things. In fact, we can see great beauty and great value in them because God created all of those different ancestries and cultures, and, and we can be thankful for the diversity that we find within the body of Christ. But brethren, let's remember that all of that is secondary to our identity in Christ. Because Jesus has torn down all the dividing lines that we as humans have set up. Look, look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. We read, For he himself, talking about Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both in God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the, with the saints and the members of the household of God. Jesus tore down the dividing wall. Brethren, curse be the man who tries to raise back up that wall. Let's make sure that we are not drawing dividing lines between us and other people because of what they look like and where they come from and what language they speak. That's what, what Christ has done. Now Christ has torn down the hostility. He has brought us together and that's what we need to see among God's people. And I understand uh, you, know, you might say, well, you know, I, I just feel a little bit more comfortable around people who have shared experiences with me, uh, p- people who, who understand my culture and, and heritage, and I, I just I, I enjoy hanging around the, those people more. That, that's an understandable tendency. But brethren, we need to fight against that. We, we need to be people who are willing to get uncomfortable, to bridge the gap, to reach out to people who don't look like us, who don't have the same experiences as us, and get to know, get to know them, get to know what it's like to walk in their shoes, to reach out to someone who doesn't look like me and learn what it's like to see the world through their eyes. I, I think of an illustration uh, that, that's meaningful to me, because uh, Aaron and I have, have a dog, Maggie. Uh, hopefully this will be understandable to, to others as well. But if, if you have two dogs in their backyards and you put a chain link fence between them, what, what are those dogs most likely going to do? They're going to be barking at one another and running back and forth along that chain link fence and trying to get at one another. What, what would normally happen if you took down that fence 
and you gave them time to actually be around one another. Well, they're going to get to know each other. And they're not going to be barking at each other and running after each other, at least not, not in the same way. Uh, they're going to learn the scent of that other person, <laughs> or that other uh, dog, uh, and, and they're going to be able to develop a relationship with them. Brother, that's what we need more than anything, is to be people who are tearing down the walls, people who are tearing around the dividing lines, not, not strengthening them. We need to be people who are reaching out and getting to know somebody else, getting to know what their experiences are, where, where they come from, and, and how they see these issues, how they see the world around them. Because, brethren, uh, Jerome and Eric Strickland are my brothers in a deeper sense than anybody that's on my physical family tree. Because the spiritual bond that we share is so much more important, so much deeper. And we need to see that. We need to be the people, the type of people who are reaching across the gap, who are bridging those, uh, those divides that our society has created. But thirdly, racism defies God's love. John 3.16 says, God so loved America. Is that what it says? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In Matthew 28 and verse 19, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the white people. No, he says, go make disciples of all nations. Not just people that look like me or speak the same language as me. Acts chapter 10, when Peter, for the first time, is realizing what it really means to go out and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, Peter, after seeing these visions and going to Cornelius' household, says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Later on in Acts chapter 11, as he is now having to explain this to others who weren't so happy with what he was doing, Acts chapter 11, verse 17, he says, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Brethren, are we standing in God's way? Are we kind of just comfortable with how things are and comfortable with people that, that talk like us and, and look like us and think like us, that, that we're keeping the gospel, keeping God's love from reaching out and, and having the type of fellowship and unity that he intends of his people? If so, we need to repent. And we need to learn to see as God sees. We need to learn to love as God loves. We learn, need to learn to, to get out of our own comfort zone and be people who bridge the gap. You know, the most pervasive type of racism is not violent and hateful and aggressive racism. It's passive racism. It's saying, well, I'm, I'm not going to do anything to hurt these people who aren't like me, but don't expect me necessarily to, to reach out 
my hand across my white picket fence and try to help them, right? Brethren, the example of Jesus is somebody who isn't just content to kind of stay in his own comfort zone and talk to people who, you know, are, are part of his own little culture. The example of Jesus is somebody who is actively seeking to reach out to people like the Samaritans. Look, look in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Remember here, Jesus is asked by a lawyer what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And uh, he asks him how he, he reads the law. And in verse 27, he responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's right. That's exactly what you need to do. But the man seeking to justify himself asks the question, well, who is my neighbor? Well, what's Jesus' answer to that? Does he say, well, the, the people that live in your neighborhood, of course. The people that, that look like you, of course. Uh, your other fellow Jews, of course. No, he tells a parable. And he tells a parable where the hero of the story is somebody that this lawyer might not want to think of as his neighbor. We call it the parable of the good Samaritan. And notice at the very end of this, verse 36 and 37, Jesus asked the question, which of these three, talking about the Levite, the priest, and the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Do you see how Jesus kind of turns around the question there? He says, who proved to be a neighbor? Because the question is not, who is my neighbor? It's, who am I willing to be a neighbor to? And Jesus says, go and do likewise. You be a neighbor. You be a neighbor to, to anybody and everybody. You reach out in love and love all people as yourself. Brother, we need to go and do likewise. We need to show God's love and show God's mercy. Perhaps more than ever to those people who don't look like us, who don't share our cultural heritage. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus encouraged. We need to advocate for them, love them as we love ourselves. And this doesn't mean that we ignore our differences. Honestly, this means we should embrace our differences. Where you see society is drawing a line between you and somebody else, be the kind of person who, who wants to cross that line. We need to be the kind of people who are bridging the gap. I, I used to uh, think that being colorblind was a good thing. Um, because when, when I talked about being colorblind, what I meant was that I'm seeking to see the way that God sees, right? First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God doesn't see as man sees. He sees the heart. And I think that's true, and we need to do that. But, but brethren, I think that's an incomplete idea. 
Because what that can come across as is I'm telling my, my black brother or sister, I, I love you the same despite the fact that you're black, despite the fact that you don't look like me, as if that somehow is a bad thing, right? Well, no, what, what we really see in the scripture is that when we see so that somebody is different than us, we acknowledge that, we accept that, and all the more, we want to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes. Not that we're just going to ignore the differences, ignore what's going on, but that we're going to acknowledge it and make an effort to, to bridge that gap. And I think that gets us to the passage that Jonathan read for us at the beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. Here Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share uh, with them in its blessings. Was Paul blind to the differences that existed in his culture? No, he's very aware of those differences. But what did he do about it? Well, in noticing those differences, he made a very concerted effort to bridge that gap, to cross that line, and to become all things to all men, to understand what it was to like to, to walk in the shoes of a Gentile, so that he could love that Gentile as himself. Brethren, that's what we need. If we want to show God's love, if we want to be a neighbor, then we need to get outside of our comfort zone. We need to reach out to have the love of God, to have the, the, the perspective of God, to see the value that God sees in all of his creation and all of his people. So what about us? What, what do each of us see in the mirror? I, I recognize that among us here, we, we each have different experiences, right? We each have different backgrounds. We each have different physical characteristics. Um, but brethren, let's not let the world define who we are. Let's let Christ define who we are. And let's be an example to the world of the type of love, the type of unity that his people can have, that they might look at us and realize that what we have is what they need. Unfortunately, this is a problem um, that has been present within the church uh, for uh, a long time. Back, back to the, the first century, it was a problem that, that arose within the church that they had to deal with. Brethren, let, let's, let's not ignore the problem. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it in all the ways that we talked about communicating, listening, recognizing that we may be wrong, and then speaking with grace and speaking with love, that we can build those relationships, that we, we can cross the, those gaps. 
I recognize that my own experiences are very limited. I recognize that there's probably a lot more to say than what has been said. But I hope that at least what we've done today is, is show a firm biblical foundation for not allowing racial prejudice or insensitivity, and certainly not racial hostility or racial ignorance, to, to uh, keep us from being the, the type of body, the type of family that God desires for us to be. Um, if anything that I've said has come across the wrong way, I, I really do invite you to talk with me about it. I, I want to see these things the way that God sees them. And I want us as God's people to be able to dress them in a way that is going to shine his light and his love to all those around us. If you recognize something in your own life that hasn't been what it needs to be, won't you change it now? Won't you allow God's word to do its work within you? Won't you reflect the character of Christ moving forward? If, if you need to confess some sin in a public way, to ask for the prayers of these brethren, to express that repentance, we, we want to offer you that opportunity. Uh, and if anybody has not become part of the family of God, if they haven't been born again, uh, to find a, a new self, a new life, a new identity in Christ, by his grace you can do that today. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation uh, in any way, if you need to wash away your sins in baptism, if you need to come back to him uh, and express some form of repentance before these brethren, we ask that you'll do that now as we sing together.